Fake, fake, fakeity fake. Hi, I'm Jody. And I'm Vienno. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News, and then talk about online hate speech with my friend Vienno. Yay. So fun. How are you, Vienno? I'm tired. I'm really, really tired. <laughs> How are you? I'm, I'm also tired. I'm still running off of uh, the... Or I think I expended too much energy by participating in the Solidarity event yesterday. Uh, solidarity with uh, Palestine. So it was nice. It was a car rally, so I wasn't outside. Uh, didn't come into contact with people and uh, didn't help contribute to spreading a disease at all. I just uh, sat in my car and honked a horn a lot. But a lot of people showed up, which was really nice. Hell yeah. I love that. There was one moment just before I went home where somebody in the car next to me who also was flying giant uh, Palestinian flags looked directly at me and went, I love you, man. And I pointed back at them and went, I love you too, man. (laughs) Fuck yeah. That's what solidarity is all about. (laughs) Yes, so it was really, really nice. And, uh, you know, reflecting on the fact that it was, uh, we were doing it because something's happening right now that is very sad, but it was at least nice to see the community come together like that. So if you get the chance in the next few days to attend one of these events as uh, safely as you can, I would recommend doing it. And uh, yes, solidarity with uh, the Palestinians. Yeah. And I guess speaking of solidarity, <laughs> we got to do our patron shout out. We would like to thank Richard, Durka, Darren, Sarah, Ryan, and Tim. You are the Laurentian elite of the Imperial News podcast. You're talking about the Laurentian elites? Folding from Laurentian elites. Canada's Laurentian elite. We would also like to thank Mo, Nicholas, and Michael, our foreign funded environmentalists. What's your message to world leaders today? Uh, My message is that we'll be watching you. How dare you? Lastly, we would like to thank our ultimate patrons, Nate and Ken, for being less annoying than Joel Pollock's cell phone. And had to basically start from scratch. Start from scratch. And that's crazy. We start from scratch. Testosterone flowing. We start from scratch. And that's crazy. crazy. Homeless people in LA have smartphones. Thank you all so much for your support. You can donate to us at patreon.com slash imperial news. Now, the imperial roundup? Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy! I'm a weirdo. This is what happened on The Rebel from May 3rd to May 7th. A large portion of the week was taken up by another pastor who refused to run their church in accordance with pandemic measures and was subsequently arrested. The prosecutor is the same as with the other pastor in Alberta and still wants to remain secret. But Ezra and Sheila see this as an affront to the church. They claim that the prosecutor is behaving like these are Christian terrorists, which to them seems obviously ridiculous. 
my point of uh, reciting how gentle he is, is that this whole drama queen move by Karen Thorsrud, oh my God, your honor, you know, I prosecuted the mafia, I prosecuted murderers, I prosecuted terrorists, but nothing like this. Please, your honor, don't say my name, Karen Thorsrud. Let me be secret and don't let anyone see me. I'm worried about these Christian terrorists. That's really what this is. This is a dramatic effect to try and poison the well against the gentlest pastor around by a prosecution that is motivated by anti-Christian bigotry. But as we have pointed out before, it is less likely that the prosecutor is worried about the congregants themselves than those who, like Rebel News, have stirred other, less savory types to rally in support of the church. Ezra introduces a new employee, Adam Sues, who is covering the arrest, and announces with glee that Adam used to work for John Carpe, whose Justice Center of Constitutional Freedom legally represents both of these pastors. Just a quick intro for our viewers who might not know you. Joined the Rebel team about a week or two ago. And before that, you actually worked with our friends at the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms, the JCCF with John Carpe. Is that right? That's right. Well, those are good folks. They're busy battling very similar fights to us all the time. So we, uh, we keep a track of their efforts and, and try and write about them whenever we can. Nothing says unbiased journalism like hiring someone who worked for the group legally representing the story you were currently covering. Bill Gates is getting divorced, and so Ezra wants to talk about it. Ezra claims that Bill thinks he is godlike and wants to tell people how to live in his image by using his money to push people around. Because of his staggering wealth, he can buy a form of credential, he can buy attention and influence and media coverage. And it is clear that like other staggeringly wealthy men, he starts to think of himself as godlike. And that his true mission, now that he's made more money than can ever be spent, is to tell other people how to live in his image. As examples of what Bill is pushing, Ezra cites, wanting people to get vaccinated, wanting people to drink human feces, Wanting people to eat synthetic beef. Wanting to fix global warming even though he has a big house and a jet. And wanting to spray dust in the atmosphere to block out the sun. <laughs> Some of these are more or less true in terms of what Bill wants, with varying degrees of exaggeration. But mostly Ezra doesn't respond other than to say, yuck. Ezra admits that he too likes to tell people how to live. But it is different compared to Bill because people have the ability to actually ignore Ezra. I don't know. We might all have that instinct. I suppose I like to tell people how I think the world should be arranged every day on the show. But you can ignore me if you like. I have no real power. Maybe just some influence a little bit. Surprising that Ezra doesn't mention the rich donors like Robert Shillman, who has funded Rebel News, as having the same kind of negative influence as Bill Gates. It's almost as if Ezra's appeal to a class-based populism is not authentic. Ezra claims that Bill Gates pretends to be a nerd to hide his true nature, although he isn't clear what that nature is. Ezra speculates that the divorce had something to do with Bill remaining friends with an ex-girlfriend, even though he was married at the time. He uses this as a jumping point to argue against open marriages generally, suggesting it is something that only rich people do. Uh, you know, the rich, they're different from us. They have money. But when you're that rich, I mean, Ted Turner rich, Warren Buffett rich, Bill Gates rich, Jeff Bezos rich, you don't just have money, you have total power over everything and everyone around you. 
No one can say no to you. No one dares to say no to you. No one would ever criticize you. You could truly start to believe that you are a god because every problem falls away. People just do what they think you want them to do without even asking. Unless these ultra-billionaires are, I suppose, religious, unless they voluntarily submit themselves to a higher power, they are the higher power wherever they go. They are treated like gods. And they start to act a little bit like gods, especially the Greek gods, to whom women and men were just things, chattels, toys, playthings, whatever. I mean, imagine wanting to blot out the sun. It is fairly obvious that a far-right conservative like Ezra would be against relationship dynamics that don't fit into his heteronormative framework, but to shame people for still being friends with exes seems very weird to me. Ezra jumps from open marriages to talk about Bill's relationship with Jeffrey Epstein, while suggesting that Epstein gives credibility to movements like QAnon or Alex Jones. But the thing is, so many conspiracy theories about billionaire pedophiles and bigamists and cover-ups, just, just the kooky, far-out stuff, well, didn't Epstein prove half of it true? It is true that Bill had a relationship with Jeffrey Epstein, but it is annoying that Ezra, although he loves bringing Epstein up in relation to people he doesn't like, ignores that Epstein was friends with Donald Trump. Ezra is mad that the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario is telling doctors they will be disciplined for spreading COVID-19 misinformation. Ezra claims that physicians know more than public health officials, and yet he is mad at an orga organization made up of physicians whose job it is to regulate physicians because they agree with public health officials. Ezra claims that doctors are naturally conservative. I think many doctors are conservative. I, I don't just mean that politically. I mean that in terms of do no harm. That's why doctors are skeptical of quacks and quackery. That's why medical doctors don't like pretend doctors or rival health ideologies like naturopathy. Ezra then spends most of the segment spreading his old, tired talking points, with the implication being that doctors, who are naturally conservative, would agree with Ezra that masks don't work, lockdowns don't help and lead to suicide, and that vaccines are experimental. None of which is true. Ezra says there is nothing more gross than doctors in league with the police state. You know, there's nothing more gross than doctors in league with a police state. They do the most diabolical things. Public health doctors are suspect to begin with, but those who say real medical doctors with real patients have to shut up and do as politicians say, do as politicians recommend, can't speak out against a police lockdown. Why, those are the worst tyrants. However, it is worth repeating, the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario are in fact real doctors who treat real patients. They're not politicians nor public health officials, and yet they still think Ezra is wrong. It is also worth highlighting that the implication is that there should be no self-regulating body for medical practice in Ontario because to insist that doctors follow a science-based standard of care is to Ezra a police state. Ezra ends the segments by comparing the implementation of medical regulations in Ontario to the Nazis. I wouldn't compare them to what doctors did under Nazi Germany because that's just too far. That's too many degrees worse than where we are. And I don't want to casually compare people to the Nazis, but you can see the ultimate destination of when doctors subvert their own judgment and knowledge and morality and their patient's care to whatever recommendations of the government is. And that is the week.
Piano? Yes. Are you in favor of free speech? <laughs> no. <laughs> Ban all speech! No speaking aloud. An end to verbal communication. <laughs> That's what cultural Marxism is all about. So apparently on Monday it was Press Freedom Day. And Ezra wants to talk about how press freedom is declining in Canada. So Ezra decides to hyper-analyze this speech by Justin Trudeau on Press Freedom Day. And Justin Trudeau mentions that news media should be free and fair. And Ezra takes issue with the addition of the word fair. What's that part of the again about making things fairer and more inclusive? Free speech is free speech. That's the fairness part. Everyone gets to be free. But when regulators and authoritarians and politicians talk about making conversations fairer, they usually mean boosting some voices and censoring others. That's how YouTube talks about it when they censor people. Either speech is free or it isn't. That's sort of the only test for it. Either the press is free or it's not. If there are lots of qualifiers on that, lots of adjectives, it probably means it's not really free. Free and fair don't really go together because that implies you're going to censor things that you determine are unfair. So you're suddenly the judge of how fair my ideas are. We all get to make that judgment for ourselves, not a politician with a censorship power. I think people, when they talk about free speech, are never like clear what what exactly they mean by free speech. Yeah. And maybe it's just my philosophical nature, but it's like the term is kind of meaningless. <laughs> In part like I like to say it's like the world is a constraining force. Even our bodies are constraining voice are a constraining force on the things that we can or cannot do with our speech. And so there's always going to be restrictions to speech. The question is how much speech should be restricted, and when has it like uh, been restricted too far such that it's a bad thing to restrict this kind of speech? I think we can kind of obviously see it in how the Canadian media has basically been like, oh, wow, Israel is self-defending or whatever the fuck currently. Like, it's a very ironic thing to like talk about considering that like, Today, the day of recording, is when Israel bombed the AP News and Al Jazeera offices in Gaza. The, like, press freedom when, like, hmm, I have a feeling that Ezra probably will not be talking about that. But in terms of, like, uh, the press freedom and, like, the, the bombing of those buildings, too, it's interesting as well in terms of moderating when when certain freedoms can be encroached on, right? So here we got the freedom of the press. A lot of people are now coming out saying, well, there was Hamas in the building, and therefore bombing of these uh, media organizations is completely fine and dandy because they shared a building with supposed terrorists, according to them, right? Now, we'll have our Palestinian discussion next week, but it's a matter of, like, even here, these people are drawing lines about when or when it is not okay to disregard press freedom right and everyone has their like drawing lines in this case i would say that's a bunch of bullshit but other people would say that it isn't a bunch of bullshit but that's like that to me is where these discussions should go in terms of things like press freedom but it's always just at this level like even what ezra says here in this segment which is that freedom is either free or like speech is either free or it isn't free but I also want to implicate Ezra in this, which is that 
Libel is a limit on free speech. Slander is a limit on free speech. If I'm not allowed to libel someone, I am being restricted in my speech if there's a legal framework to deal with that. And Ezra, <laughs> Mr. It's either free or it isn't, sues people for libel and slander all the fucking time. So he's okay in some instances to limit other people's speech. So I would say to Ezra, is free speech free or is it not free if you feel the need to go around suing everyone for libel or slander? See, but they aren't press, so... Well, I mean, there's a difference between press freedom and what uh, uh, Ezra gets into to details about, like, free speech and yeah. what he should be allowed to say. But Just, like, on the brief note of press freedoms also, like... On a more local level, you know, Carl Dockstadter got arrested for covering the 1492 Lambac Lane protests, and a bunch of journalists were ar arrested at Wet'suwet'en. But, like, you know, there is a kind of ongoing targeting of journalists in this country as well, and it is not the rebel news kind of journalists. No, and the only thing that Rebel News comes out with saying that they've been censored is either a private company like YouTube no longer platforming their videos, although... They haven't been deplatformed, they've just been demonetized. Or, say, the police ticketing them at anti-lockdown events because they're not wearing masks. Which is always, they get to use that as, like, look at us, we're victims of this, like, censorship. And they're trying to target us because of our reporting and our activism. But really, they're being targeted because they're breaking the law. And I would say when you compare their treatment to Carl's treatment or the journalists uh, covering Wet'suwet'en, Rebel gets treated with kid gloves. Like, let's be real. Yeah, I don't think Rebel has ever had guns pointed at them, so that's already, like, a one-up. Maybe David Menzies has, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. And even then, like, the issue kind of, like becomes they think that like the law is unfair or whatever but they're not like or they think that it's being like unfairly applied to them but they don't like they don't really have a challenge to like the structure of the law whereas these other journalists who are getting like harassed and spied on by the ARCMP and like all of these other things fundamentally do have a critique of like the existing system beyond like it's mean to me sometimes. Exactly. Now, the reason why we're talking about press freedom and freedom of speech on Ezra's show is because he wants to move from this to talk about Bill C-10. We briefly touched on Bill C-10 in the past, and we sort of touched... Uh, I mean, it, it keeps on coming up on his show, but the thing is, I've been kind of confused about the nature of Bill C-10, and so I did a bit of digging, and it's quite simple in ways although i feel like part of my confusion was from listening to ezra because it seems like ezra has been conflating two types of legislation so bill c10 is a bill that is supposed to regulate online content in terms of the broadcasting legislation and we'll get to it in a second but the other bill which hasn't been presented yet hence why it doesn't have a number, it's still in the works, is a proposed online hate speech legislation that's coming down the pipe. It's on its way, but it hasn't gotten here yet. And Ezra likes to, to conflate these two issues 
together? So to clarify a bit more, the purpose of Bill C-10 is mostly a cultural one. So in Canada, we have the Canadian uh, Broadcast Regulator, basically, the CTRC, I think it is, or CRTC. CRTC, yeah. I can't remember. (laughs) And the purpose of this regulator, as one example, is to make sure that the content on Canadian television and radio has some Canadian content. And the worry there is that you don't, given that we, we share a language with and a border and a close relationship with America, the worry when these uh, this legislation was proposed way back in the day was that we will be inundated with American content and lose some sort of sense of Canadian identity. And so these bills were put in place to make sure that Canadian broadcasters or anyone who broadcasts within Canada has to broadcast a certain amount of Canadian content. And over the years, that's been uh, worked out to include also uh, French language material, but also uh, Indigenous broadcasting as well, uh, to make sure that these things are, are covered to a certain extent. And so, I mean, like... Many people can debate whether that's good or not or whatever. I'm just going to leave that aside uh, for one moment. But this is how our system is in Canada. And what Bill C-10's purpose was, was to do that, what we already do for television and radio, but do it for the internet. And apparently it has wide appeal specifically in Quebec, where they're really concerned about the loss of their French language and culture. Yeah, I have a feeling we'll be talking about that in coming weeks as well with the new bill there. Prior, so this this uh, happened in the as we said, like the week of May. What was it, seven to thirteenth, third <laughs> to seventh? So May third to seventh is when this week's show is happening. Mm-hmm. But if you're paying attention to the news now, the bill is kind of in a weird, precarious position. And this is a controversy that, like, Ezra is already starting to pick up on here, which is that part of this Bill C-10 legislation that was confusing to even the opposition parties like the NDP and the Conservatives was it was not clear between regulating, say, YouTube as a general platform or user-generated content. So, for example, Imperial News on YouTube creating content. Mm -hmm. And so... Whether or not, say, YouTube has to abide by the kind of CRTC regulations, or if me as a YouTube user generating content needs to abide by these practices. And you can see here, there's a, it's a huge can of worms, and I don't know how to fucking deal with this. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a difficult one. And so there was like some free speech concern regarding that, the freedom of expression, get, considering uh, user-generated uh, content versus these like larger platforms. And they went to the Department of Justice. The Department of Justice recently said that it doesn't violate freedom of speech because there's a clause saying that it won't affect user-generated content. It'll only affect the uh, like YouTube. And right now it's in this like great like it's in this zone where it's not clear that the the bill is going to go forward. And uh, it's in limbo, basically. (laughs) 
It's also like going through several readings. So how our system works too is like a bill goes through several readings before it goes to the floor for a vote. So it's not even at this stage yet where people are going to vote on it. And it might not even reach that stage given the controversy that has arisen out of it. And part of the controversy has arisen not just because I feel like Rebel News is confused about this, but I think Guibault has not done his best in sort of selling this product or explaining it because every time he talks about BLC 10, everyone keeps asking him about regulation and then like goes towards like online hate legislation and it leads to a whole bunch of like muddled appearances that Gibo has made that then Ezra gets to take advantage of and see like look they're gonna censor everything and give us licenses <laughs> the bill is about ensuring that these platforms that act like broadcasters pay their fair share when it comes to Canadian culture so it's about spending obligations spending requirements it's not about content moderation so I, I, I'm gonna flip the question for a moment here minister because it was important enough to put that exclusion there in the first place now it's gone why was it important in the first place to put it there Con we're we're not interested I mean it's not it's not what the I, bill is about. I mean I, I I have criticisms of bill c10 mm-hmm just in the sense of like i don't i don't know that like i don't know if we should do what we do to broadcast television and radio to the internet i don't know if that's the smartest move <laughs> it is clear a lot of people have issues with that and just like outlining sort of the internet as a whole like as that sort of thing whereas like you know i think that doing that to like streaming companies that operate in canada makes a certain amount of sense but then i guess there is like the difficulty of distinguishing between streaming companies and things like youtube or even like facebook and instagram where people do produce content but generally like it's not you know these uh, yeah it is just like so messy it's very messy easy answer shut down the internet we're good yeah (laughs) well like i get that part of what you're getting at is true. I think the purpose of wanting to do something like Bill C-10 had to do with things like Netflix Mm -hmm. uh, and making sure that Netflix was carrying Canadian content. And I'm not sure legislating that is the best route, but who knows? Like, I don't, I don't, I guess it's all, I, I see, I see the desire to want to keep some Canadian content. I do get that. But then it's like, how how forceful should we be when it comes to online services in because it's so messy like to to carve up the online space such that we're distinguishing between a Netflix and a YouTube in such a way that it doesn't prevent people like Imperial News from being able to to put whatever we want online right yeah i think it would be so much easier to just do like a very big tax on the major media corporations and then just use that to fund Canadian-produced content that, like, like CBC has an app, don't they? Like, they have a, their own streaming app. Just take money and then make content, and, you know, you could do, like, a Kim's Convenience thing where you partner with another, like, streaming platform for actually, like, getting it out there. But, yeah, like, that's very easy to do. Why, like, why are we not doing that? That's... <laughs> I solved it. You're welcome, Gilbo. Yeah. <laughs> My guess is it's liberals. I don't know. I yeah. think it's, uh, they're making it overly complicated. Gotta means test everything. 
Yeah, yeah. But uh, but then again, it's it's more complicated than obviously I'm giving it credit here. But I just wanted to highlight Bill C-10 specifically because Ezra talks about it on his show. And I'm just like, it sounds like you're talking about the hate speech legislation, not Bill C-10, you know? And so that that's what's been confusing me. I think maybe in some past episodes I might have referred to Bill C-10 as if it was going to be, or even on a stream recently, might have referred to Bill C-10 as if it was the hate speech legislation when it isn't, you know? <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's kind of all it's known as anyways. Like, even outside of the far-right media sphere that we cover. But, like, even when I see anything about it on, like, CBC News or, like any of the other or on like twitter or whatever like it's kind of just it seems like it's all about the actual hate speech thing and like they don't even get to the co- the like actual i guess legislation of bill c10 right just one quick side note i think that we should uh in the next revision of bill c10 we need to uh force amazon prime to make a canadian spin-off of the tv show the expanse just because I think that having a like dark, gritty, but also like Letterkenny in space would be very fun. I love that you're you're pitching legislation now that just appeals to you. Yeah, <laughs> to I, your I own preferences of TV. Yeah, <laughs> I think we need a media regulation party that is just for fun. No more liberals. No more NDP. This is the Canadian Expanse Party. Yeah, I was going to be like, or like, since it's like tax funded, just everyone now has a stake in the production of Canadian material. So everyone has to like submit scripts that then get (laughs) state mandated scripts by all. uh... You get drafted to be an extra. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, dear Lord. It's like jury duty. So on, on to the online hate portion or the online anti-hate portion. I guess it's an anti-hate legislation. <laughs> we've, we've sort of covered this in the past, which is that what the government was mandated to do was to deal with uh, content online, for example, child sexual exploitation, terrorism, non-consensual sharing of sexual images, incitement to violence, and online hate. And the problem that they find is that a lot of these uh, sites sometimes leave this content up for way too long, And so there was a proposed idea of a 24-hour rule. And this is something that Ezra always pushes back on. Like, oh, that's that's too short of a time for, like, people. But it's like, I don't know. It seems like YouTube does a very good job at removing, for example, child sexual exploitation material and terrorism. But does less of a good job at removing things like hate speech or incitement to violence. And so it could be just amount of uh, proportioning resources to things. And it's also a problem that uh, groups like Facebook or companies like Facebook and YouTube have like been hesitant when it comes to, for example, Republicans in America that incite violence or use online hate speech because they're afraid of censoring these voices because they're politicians and then getting blowback because of that. Yeah. And I mean, Facebook has contributed to a lot of ethnic cleansing in other areas of the world as well because their moderation teams are minimal at best and like unprepared to handle mass amounts of like hate speech or calls for like killings and so like they can they can't handle it in english let alone in 
I don't know, I think at the time of like the mass killings in Ethiopia that were like very heavily spread on Facebook. In that case, like Facebook had something like a hundred employees for the continent of Africa. <laughs> um, and you know, there are so many languages in Africa. So like, you know, having a hundred people, chances are who they might speak like 10, 15 languages amongst them or something, but like, they're not going to come nearly close to the total. And then, like, there's been so many reports on, like, how horrible the moderation is on, like, English-speaking parts of, like, Facebook moderation, where, like, the employees are just, like, scrolling day in, day out through child porn and animal torture videos and, like, people being murdered or, like, injured or, like, just these, like, horrible, horrible, violent things where it's, like, you know, the the difficulties of moderation kind of come into play there where it's like, there's always going to be like some level of human checking of all of this stuff that like, because like the algorithms are always going to be flawed. And I don't know, just like the difficulties of that. And then also, you know, with concepts of terrorism, where it's like, that is a very, very politically loaded term where, you know, we have instagram shutting down like all mentions of al-aqsa and like palestinian freedom because it's possibly associated with groups that like we would refer to as terrorists in like legal terms because our governments use that as a like political cudgel to beat down opposition (laughs) but of course i'm sure ezra doesn't actually get into any of the nuances of it i'm sure he's just like oh no they might not have as not have rebel news on youtube anymore no they they avoid the discussion of terrorism altogether which i think is if anything the more interesting or worrisome to me the nuance and like maybe we'll get to it in a bit with kind of where ezra goes with it but i just think ezra is kind of incoherent here but the worry we have or the worry that i have is to make sure that whoever is doing the moderation that it's in done in a way that it's not removing content that i think is worthwhile you know you know what i mean uh but that of course is like an iffy thing because like who gets to make that decision right mm-hmm. should we do what jody thinks should not be banned offline or should we do with whatever person you know what i mean someone is going to have to do moderation at some point yeah and i think that a lot of people say that we should just somehow keep letting YouTube and Facebook be the ones who get to decide what what stays or what goes. But as you just pointed out, these companies are already kicking out left-wing content that they either to seem like decide is too worrying or whatever, or consider it terrorist when it isn't, right? Mm-hmm. Even though I don't like the liberal government, obviously. <laughs> I'm like, I almost would rather the government have in place a... a form of moderation or or regulation that puts pressure on these companies to do better content moderation that they're not doing right now. I actually think that might be the better route even though like I understand the hesitance or like worry of of giving say the government that kind of position. But I will say in so far countries that have adopted this, it doesn't seem like it has been abused in the way that I think a lot of lefties worry about in terms of what gets cracked down on. 
And also, I think part of it is that we have human rights legislation, the Canadian Human Rights Act in Canada already, that sort of like outlines who the protected classes are that I, I think to be robust enough to deal with this. It, it, terrorism might be the one tricky ground, but when it comes to things like hate speech against trans people, hate speech against uh, racial uh, lies groups, all these things, like we have a legal framework already in place that this stuff can piggyback on. And so I'm less worried, I guess, uh, giving some of that over to the government than maybe some other people are. But I don't know how, how you feel about that. For all its flaws um, and like its poor handling of its like post-Nazi past, um, like Germany has that law against like glorification of fascism or Nazism which like holocaust german right? yeah like and you know germans know how to circumvent that but it has led to like if you go on like german twitter there are like a bunch of like republican lawmakers in the u.s who like you can't even see on german twitter because they have to be like <laughs> disappeared because that's how germans like internet regulation works so it's on some level, like, these companies are already doing it. They're just making the conscious choice, like, not to unless they are forced to. So I understand the, like, want for regulation on that level. Because you do need to force these companies to act, because otherwise they won't. And we have hate speech laws in Canada. Like, we are more akin to Germany in this context than America, with how open to, quote-unquote, freedom of speech America is where we have uh, anti-hate legislation and it's and our supreme court has ruled that those laws are constitutional they are coincide with the charter of rights and freedoms they appropriately infringe on a right to freedom of expression in that allowing people to spout hate speech silences others right like i i love that <laughs> there's uh the the sort of intersectional language about how other people use their speech to bully and uh, silence others. And our law sort of takes that into account and goes like, you shouldn't allow people out there to just be belligerent and hateful to others because it silences the voices of more marginalized groups. Mm -hmm. And so in order to encourage freedom of speech, maybe it's a good thing that we don't uh, allow people to spread hate online. You know, or or in the public sphere, right? And so I guess like part of what the Canadian government is trying to do right now is to apply what we already have in the law to uh, the internet. It 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 just gets into the sort of like difficulties of like how the internet functions, how that like can possibly even interact with, I guess the notion of like national laws, like if there were sort of broader internet regulations beyond like national borders then it might be a lot easier to sort of regulate these things but it does get difficult when like you know because twitter is not a canadian phenomenon um facebook is not a canadian phenomenon and they have like um there was the recent case in australia where like they tried to force facebook to do something and facebook was like okay we'll just like stop operating in australia then and i think the australian government ended up having to back down because social media is so like part and parcel to daily life now which is kind of like worrying because it gets into those like notions of like you can, like you see those screenshots on like 
other platforms of people getting banned on like Facebook or Twitter and they post it on, you know, Discord or they post it on like Twitter or wherever else uh, being like, oh yeah, I said, like there's that one thing where it's like, all white cops look like this and it's the picture of the shark from the like DreamWorks fish movie and somebody got banned off of Facebook for posting that. And it's like, you know, these companies are already doing that and for the most part, like not cracking down on the weirdo far right people that are like actually like racist and genocidal. So, you know, these crackdowns are already happening in the private sphere. So like, I don't think government regulation is going to like make it worse somehow. It'll just kind of like force the private corporations to like actually do anything about the huge amounts of racism on their platforms. Yeah, actually abide by their own terms of service that they've had in place forever. Yeah. So I guess like to to go on what what happens on Ezra's show, he has Andrew Lawton on to talk about the our Bill C ten, and they don't really go into much except that Andrew Lawton again says he's afraid of the return of Section thirteen of the Canadian Human Rights Act. Now, people that are old enough will remember more than a decade ago when people like you, our friend Mark Stein, staked huge amounts of political capital, of money, of time to fight what was then called Bill uh, Section 13 of the Canadian Human Rights Act. This was a section that made it an offense to communicate so-called hateful content on the internet. The repeal of Section 13 basically means that even though hate speech is still illegal in Canada, you have to go through uh, the courts rather than through these human rights tribunals. You can't do it through there. And I would argue that we need to bring Section 13 back. But also, like, I I don't know what this had to do with Bill C-10, but this is, again, the conflation between Bill C-10 and this, like, hate speech legislation that uh, is being worked out. Lawton's argument against uh, what we're talking about is that hate speech is not defined, yet it has been clearly defined in our courts. You can look back at the Keegstra case in particular, which we've already talked about on our program, which was when a high school teacher was teaching Holocaust denial in the classroom. And that's the case that went all the way up to the Supreme Court and ruled that hate speech laws in Canada are uh, constitutional, that they don't violate our uh, charter rights. Mm Mm-hmm. Or they do, but they're they're reasonably limited by the Section 1 of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, which is the Limitation Clause. Ezra brings up again that Guibault is just wanting to crack down on taunts against politicians. And he plays this clip, and we didn't specifically go over it before because I never tracked down the clip before. But he constantly plays this uh, clip of Guibault mentioning uh, that, for example, certain politicians choose not to go into politics because of the harassment and shit that they get online. And Ezra goes, see, the whole reason he wants to silence our speech and the whole reason he wants to do Bill C-10 is because of these taunts against politicians. Uh, Gil talking to the same reporter, Anya Caridelia, said that one of the things he wants to stop is private citizens being able to taunt politicians. Now, I, I think that taunting like an insult. I think that's what taunting is a kind of insult. Um, You know, we want to be polite where appropriate, but it shouldn't be allowed against the law to taunt a politician. In fact, if there's anyone you should taunt, it's a politician. That's what we do in, in a democracy. We don't take up weapons and arms in revolution. We taunt people, we debate people, we criticize people. But that 
is exactly what Gilbo says he wants to crack down on. He specifically says criticism of politicians. Here, take a look at this clip from when he said that to Canada 2020. We've seen too many examples of public officials retreating from public service due to the hateful online content targeted towards themselves or even their families. There he is. I mean, I tell you, Andrew, once upon a time, the media held the government to account. Now the government wants to hold the media to account. I think the government has quite enough power already. Thank you. This clip of Guy Beau was taken from a speech he gave at Canada 2020, which is a liberal think tank. And it was like a small couple seconds clip out of a larger portion of his speaking engagement. And you could tell the context in which he's talking about taunting uh, of politicians has more to do with the fact of stopping people from wanting to get involved in politics in the first place and how harmful speech actually silences people by preventing them from wanting to be engaged in their democracy. Furthermore, hateful speech online silences voices and undermines democracy. We've seen too many examples of public officials retreating from public service due to the hateful online content targeted towards themselves or even their families. But just to further clarify, since Ezra wants to frame this in terms of taunting, Gibo specifies literally like two minutes later that the main sort of thing he has in mind here is the January 6th insurrection in Washington, D.C. But just to start off with, I wanted to address the issue in general. You know, what are the threats that digital technology is currently posing to our democratic institutions? When you look at this as an issue, what are the main threats that you're concerned with? Well, I, there there are a number of uh, of threats. I mean, I, I think front and center for every legislator or most legislators around around the planet is what we we seen in Washington on on January sixth, uh, where clearly uh, groups uh, were able to, to to organize and and mobilize um, in an attempt to overthrow a democratically elected government. Then Ezra says that uh, what is happening with these bills is that they're outsourcing censorship to private corporations. And the idea of outsourcing censorship to the private sector, I mean, I'm not sure if you saw that, Andrew, but just in the last few days, PayPal, without explanation or notice or appeal, just yanked Mm -hmm. uh, their credit card processing for us, which is an enormous loss. We don't know who complained. We don't know what the complaint was. We don't know what we allegedly did wrong. We don't know what the rule we allegedly broke was. There's no transparency, no appeal, no process, no rule of law, no basic uh, administrative fairness. And I don't exactly know what he means by this. (laughs) Because like companies already have a terms of service. If anything, what we've just discussed is that the Canadian government is making sure these companies actually enforce the terms of service they already have. Or just the laws in the countries that they operate in. Ezra goes from this to uh, talk about his PayPal suspension. (laughs) So this happened uh, that week. It might be old news for other people, but PayPal basically shut down Rebel News and said it's not going to allow them to solicit donations on uh, on their site anymore. And Rebel cites this as some sort of breach of contract or an inducement of breach of contract, which I guess is his new favorite legal term, even though it's an old-timey thing that I don't know he's going to succeed on uh, in the one case that he's bringing it up on. So remember, he's suing activists 
who got a theater to shut down his speech. He's suing those activists for inducement. But in the case of PayPal, I'm not even clear anyone induced PayPal to shut them down or if they have evidence of specific people telling PayPal not to host Rebel News anymore. But he's going to sue for inducement, apparently. He also says they've never received a violation before, so how dare PayPal do this? But as like we've been saying, part of the problem is that these companies were probably making a lot of money off of Ezra. And so why would you kick Ezra off your platform if you're making the money, even though he violates your terms of service? Mm -hmm. Which again, like this is probably why (laughs) I would say that it's good to have uh, some sort of legislation in place to make sure that these companies are actually following through with these terms of service. Like, for example, maybe you shouldn't be hosting a what I would describe as a hate organization in Rebel News. Now, he speculates that PayPal is sort of like jumping the gun and doing this now to sort of like appeal to the government, be like, look, see what we're doing. And this is, I guess, what he means by the outsourcing of the censorship. Yeah. But I'm like, I see this as the companies is trying to say, look, government, you don't need to regulate. We're starting to do it. See, look at us. Look at us complying finally. Where I'm like, I don't know. I just don't trust the companies, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah. Or it could just be that, like, they hadn't looked into him before. And, you know, somebody did a Google search of them or, like, you know, saw a news story about how shitty Rebel News is. And it was like, oh, wow, like, that violates our terms of service. And so they removed them. And it's like, we talked about this, like, on stream, I think, last week. You know, like... PayPal has, you know, as much as I just like private corporations under the current system of, like, law and government, they have the right to terminate, to, like, terminate somebody using their service if that person either violates their terms of service or if they just don't want to serve them. Like, it's not discriminatory. It's not, like, targeted. It's oh, this is somebody that we don't want engaging with our platform, and they have every right to do that, and they have every right to do that without, like, warning. So, like, that's generally, like, a thing that you sign on to in, like, your terms and conditions or whatever. We, we discussed this on the stream as well, which, like, I don't even know how to adjudicate it because he keeps on saying, like, breach of contract, and that's what he's suing PayPal for. Mm-hmm. But it's like... It's not even clear to me that there was a contract here, unless he's thinking the accepting of the terms of conditions is like the signing of a contract. But but even then, the terms of conditions explicitly state that PayPal can do this without reason. Like, (laughs) if they just don't like you, they could kick you off of their private platform. It would be very funny if PayPal countersued because Rebel broke the terms of service and therefore breached the contract. (laughs) And I will say, when you read the terms of service, Ezra did in fact, uh, or Rebel News did in fact uh, breach the, the terms of service. Mm-hmm. Like the terms of service explicitly said no, like COVID denial shit. And they were selling merchandise through, and like the PayPal c- account was connected to the selling of their merchandise. That was explicitly COVID denial, you know? Yeah. So there you go. You broke the terms of service anyways. No more money for you. 
Ezra then just gets into like a weird territory, which contradicts a lot of his narratives. And so I just want to highlight it, but it's so incoherent to me. Ezra says, Even the worst government regulators, like the Human Rights Commissions that I've been before, they at least say, well, here's what someone said about you, and do you have a side of the story? And they at least have a pretend judge, even if he's not particularly unbiased. So even the worst government regulator is better than the absolute silence of PayPal. You've spent your entire time I've been talking about you online and especially the entire time talking about these online regulation bills as an attack on freedom of expression and freedom of all, like freedom of everything. We're just, it's censoring everything. And yet you're admitting here <laughs> that the worst government regulator is better than just allowing these companies to decide at their own whim who they're going to allow on their platform or not. But then how do you want it to be regulated, Ezra? Like he never discusses. It's like... The next step would be like, well, then here's what I propose to be better legislation in order to regulate these companies. And it seems like all Ezra wants is for these companies to not be mean to him specifically. But it's like, it's like you're so close, Ezra. Like you realize that these companies have way more power than is deserving. Because even Ezra says, Ezra compares it, for example, to being booted uh, from your bank account or having your phone company cut like your telephone off. Yeah, imagine a bank shutting you down without notice on a Friday night. And if you if they can do that to PayPal, which in some jurisdictions is considered a bank and some it's not, why can't they do that to your savings account, your checking account, your phone line, your cable account? Why? I mean, what's the difference? Right, and you could see like how there, there is some sort of like threshold where like, that would be harmful to people. But this is why we have regulations for things like the banks and the phone companies to not just like, willy-nilly cut people off from these things, right? Yeah. I don't know. It all just comes down to what we think the proper regulations would be here. But it's clear that Ezra doesn't care about regulations. He's he's reached the point where he's just on that cusp where he realizes regulations will be necessary. He's just not willing to specify what they are. It's almost like he he, he hates regulations, but he also hates the fact that these companies are kicking him off their platforms. <laughs> Boo-hoo. Solidarity with Palestine, like solidarity with the Palestinian resistance. If there are local protests, attend them, be safe with COVID measures and so on, but attend to show your support, help out your local Palestinian communities, also like call your MPs and MPPs and annoy them a little bit, like just make them a little bit uncomfortable with like the ongoing support, especially uh, with the liberals, the conservatives, and at least the leadership of the Green Party. Um, I believe their members of parliament are actually pretty decent, but the Green Party leadership is also very, like, in support of Israel. I was going to say, there's a few members of the NDP to push on that as well, even though Jagmeet Singh has finally uh, listened to <laughs> the, the the party that voted 80% in favor of uh, supporting, uh, basically refusing to send weapons of destruction to, to Israel. Yeah. Um, call them up, demand an end to arms sales to Israel, and, you know, 
Saudi and stuff too, but like there is a very specific, you know, struggle that is at the forefront of popular culture right now. So like ideally like end to arms sales generally, but yes, right now, like the focus <laughs> yeah. is on Palestine because things are looking real bad there. Yeah. So, you know, call your MPs, your MPPs, attend your local protests, do what you can to help out. Uh, and then also, if you got some money to spare, in London, Ontario, um, a local uh, indigenous healing garden was burnt to the ground um, a couple weeks ago, and they have a GoFundMe set up uh, to try to rebuild because both the, like, all of the plants were destroyed and also, like, the infrastructure that made up the garden was destroyed. Um, I believe the, like, benches and everything were stacked to make the fire so they are asking for monetary support to help rebuild the um indigenous indigenous medicine and teaching garden in london's south branch park so yeah if you have a few bucks to spare they're only asking for like two thousand dollars they're already a little over 1300 so a little bit goes a long way type of thing they're not asking for an exorbitant amount of money so if you can please chip in i do like we got we got large scale broad international issues and like super local issues so you know yeah you got to do both solidarity at every level and you know indigenous struggles and palestinian struggles interrelate like those are those are shared struggles so support them in whatever way you can and if you support what we are doing and what you've heard so far, you can give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial news. If you want to stay informed about what we are doing, you can also find us on Twitter at Imperial News with a Z. We have a private Facebook group called Imperial News. We also have a Discord set up, and we'll be doing Twitch streams every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can find all the links to our social media stuff in the show notes. Lastly, you can email us any question at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at striatum.bandcamp.com. You can also find his new project, Head in a Box, on Facebook. Thank you for listening. And Bill C10, I think you're canceled. I'm pretty, like, I think, like, literally they're canceled, and that I don't know that it's going to go through anymore, but, uh,. You're canceled. Albumia, Albumia, how lovely are your wheat fields.